So today we're going to look at the fourth beatitude, and the one that we're going to talk about today is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, we'll throw this up on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles as well as your Bible app if you have that this morning. I'll read that at this time. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So when I take a step back, especially in week number four, and I'm thinking about the Beatitudes as a whole and the context around them, I see that the Beatitudes really are a progression in the life of the believer. What do I mean by that? Well, as we read the Beatitudes, each one builds off of the one that comes before. And as we read the Beatitudes, we see that the attitudes that Jesus is talking about, they really do start in the heart and then work themselves outwardly as we live out our faith, as we live obedient to Jesus. Um, Jesus uses this Beatitude today to illustrate two basic human needs that every single person has, whether uh, you're the youngest of age or the oldest in the church. These are two basic human needs that every person has. He talks about the needs of hunger and thirst. And he does this to help explain how we can experience true or real satisfaction in life. Now, in America, most of us don't really know what it's like to physically hunger and thirst like millions of people throughout the rest of the world do. So I'll just use my own life for an example for just a moment. So for me, being really hungry, all right, when you get the cravings and you're just hungry, being hungry for me is getting on the phone and calling a pizza delivery place, all right, and having a pizza delivered to my house uh, so I don't have to leave the comfort of my couch, all right? That's, that's being hungry for me. Uh, being thirsty for me, now that we're around an area that has quick trips everywhere, being thirsty for me is getting in, hopping in my Jeep, driving up to Quick Drip, and surveying the, the vast amount of options of delicious beverages that they have, choosing one, and enjoying that. That's, for me, that, in my life, that's what being physically hungry and thirsty is. I was reminded this week about a famous quote that Mother Teresa gave. She said, in India, most people are starving physically, and this would have been the people that she spent a lot of her time with, but in America, they're starving emotionally and spiritually. She said, in India, there's a lot of people that are starving physically, but in America, we're starving emotionally and spiritually. And I don't think she was far off from what Jesus is talking about in this particular beatitude. You see, every single person, every person here today, um, has a, a spiritual hunger and thirst inside of them. And we, we usually don't call it that, though. We'll say things like, you know, my life feels empty right now. We'll say I'm bored or I'm restless or we'll say something just doesn't seem to be going well. Something's just missing in life. We, we call it by those types of names. You know, I, again, just using my own life as an example, I, I can't be on social media for more than a few seconds before I see a post or an article about how someone is just unsatisfied with their life. You know, experiment with that for a second. You go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, And you see that almost immediately. You can't watch the news for more than a few minutes before you see a story about the heartache and the hurt that people are feeling on a day-to-day basis. But when we take a step back and we, we go to God's word, we learn that this unsatisfaction that so many people experience... This, this unhappiness that many of us have in our lives really is the result of trying to fill that spiritual hunger and thirst that we all have with anything other than God. 
with things that just don't last. And, and I'll say this because maybe you know, that, that can be kind of harsh when you hear that. I think most of the time this is unintentional. But I also believe that there are times that we do this intentionally. Remember uh, the words of Solomon in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We talked about this uh, in week 1 and then we, um, we talked about it a little bit in week 2. He was the, uh, the wisest guy of his day. He had the most money. He climbed the corporate ladder. This guy, when you look at him from the outside in, it didn't seem like he needed anything. All right? He had it all together. But he says, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness really is. And we learn that in Solomon's pursuit of happiness, he, he wanted to experience lasting happiness, lasting joy. He, he tells us in Ecclesiastes 2 that he found three dead ends. He talks about accumulating more stuff. Uh, boys and their toys, you know, he talks about uh, experiencing every kind of worldly pleasure. The uh, scripture says there wasn't uh, a type of pleasure that he didn't experience. And he also talks about achieving success. You know, church, trying to, to fill our lives with these types of things, seeking happiness in these types of things will give us the same exact results as Solomon had. You see, in his pursuit of happiness in these areas, he found none. He found none. Well, today's beatitude teaches us, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, that happiness is found when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, for the right things, for the right relationships, for the right way to live our lives. You see, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. God's promise is that we will be filled, we'll be completely satisfied. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a step back and we're going to look at four words that show up in this particular beatitude. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a word study this morning. We're going to see where they show up in scripture, uh, what they mean to our lives today, and we're going to try to come to the conclusion of what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness and what does it mean to be filled, you know, as we read this beatitude. So the four words that we're going to talk about today are the words hunger, thirst, righteousness, and filled. And again, as we do so, my prayer, all last week and the week before since we didn't meet, my prayer has been that we would not only understand what Jesus is talking about, but that we would be a church, we'd be a people who apply these truths to our lives. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, that we're going to talk about are two words that go together. We're going to talk about hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. So what does God's word say about hunger and thirst? Well, it turns out that Scripture has a lot to say about this. From the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see that biblical writers drew on food and water as symbols of spiritual nourishment. So a lot of times we see uh, the biblical writers talk about uh, food and, and water, but it's almost always in the sense that it's talking about spiritual nourishment. So let's look at the book of Psalm, chapter 42. Verse 1 and 2, Joe Litvina, I don't do this normally, but I'm going to single you out a little bit this morning. Joe, raise your hand this morning. All right, Joe, there is a, a hymn that Joe absolutely loves. And Joe, what's the, the title of it? As the, deer. As the Deer. Okay, I'm guessing this scripture is where this, this hymn comes from. So I was thinking about you this week, Joe. So Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. This is Joe's favorite hymn. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water. So I long for you, oh God. Man, hear, hear the heart there, just the passion for God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? And then again in Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. You know, the Psalms we know were were prayers and songs that were prayed to God and sung to God. In fact, the early church would have sung these in, in their songs. They didn't even have the hymns that we sing today. That would have been like extremely contemporary for them, which is kind of crazy to think about. They would have sung the, the Psalms that we see in Scripture. And David, the author of these particular Psalms, he understood that our spiritual hunger and thirst can only be satisfied in God. You see, in the New Testament, um, Jesus, he, he uses similar word pictures uh, when he teaches the disciples and the people, the crowds who came to listen to him. Listen to John chapter 6, verse 35. I absolutely love this verse. This, this can be a life verse. You can write this on the walls of your home. Paste it somewhere. Put it on a bumper sticker. This is, this is a life verse. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, God's word promises us that our deepest cravings and longings for being filled in this life, for being satisfied, for being content. I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to be satisfied and content. He says these things are only found in God and his righteousness. This beatitude says that there's happiness in craving and longing for one thing. What we don't read is that uh, lasting happiness or joy is experienced in craving for things like lower taxes. I wish we had lower taxes. (laughs) We don't read that lasting happiness is experienced in, in craving and longing for physical food. Even though I love food, it just doesn't last. It's not experienced in having the right job or a new president, or maybe you want to keep the same president again. It's not experienced in having a better income or even a more comfortable lifestyle. Jesus tells us that the happiness that he's talking about, this makadios, this joy that's untouchable by the world, is experienced when we hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. I might not know every person here uh, individually on, on a deeper level, but one thing I know about every person that's here today is that God has made you in his image. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's also made you with, with what I would call a, a God-shaped vacuum in your lives. And this God-shaped vacuum is just waiting to be filled. God wants to fill it. With himself. He wants to fill it with his son, with the truths that we read about in his word. He wants to fill it with his grace. It was John Piper who said that people are starving for God, and that's why we preach and teach his word. That's why we gather as the church on, on Sunday, so we can be reminded about the promises of God. People are starving for God. You see, when we fill the God shaped vacuum in our lives with the only one who can really fill it. Scripture tells us that we are fully satisfied. When we hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness, we are satisfied. Matthew 5, 6 tells us that when we, that we're, we're happy when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. So a great question to ask this morning. I, I, I don't know if you have this same question I did this week, and I, I think I still have it to an extent, but what is Righteousness. <laughs> 
That's a good question. What is this thing that we're called to hunger and thirst for? What is biblical righteousness? Well, that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. If you're taking notes, the the second word that we're going to try to unpack the best we can today is the word righteousness. Righteousness. So Jesus tells us that righteousness is to be the focus of our cravings and longings, that we should hunger and thirst for for this righteousness. And, And righteousness is the one thing that if we could get it, Jesus says we would be filled. But what is it? What did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, again, when we take a step back, we see that righteousness is a major theme uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is the rest of this sermon after the Beatitudes. It's also a major theme throughout Matthew's gospel. And uh, we read, we see it in Matthew 5, 6. That's the verse we're reading today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, I thought this was interesting And if I would have caught this sooner than I did, I probably would have rewritten my entire sermon this week. But at the very end of Matthew uh, chapter 10, Jesus starts to conclude the Beatitudes by saying, uh, he starts to say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So happy are those who are persecuted because of what? Because of righteousness. In Matthew 6.33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then Matthew 5, verse 20. I'm going to throw this up on the screen. I think this is the key verse uh, for us to really begin to understand righteousness. uh, And understand this entire sermon that Jesus teaches. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the religious leaders in, in Jesus' day, they had what you would call an artificial strictly external type of righteousness. It it was a righteousness that was only based on the law. Not only were were they um, focused on keeping the Old Testament law, but they had over 600 man-made rules, laws, and regulations that really didn't mean anything. And they just, they thought that's what being righteous meant, was keeping, keeping the law. See, the righteousness that Jesus is talking about isn't an artificial one that's only concerned about keeping the law. It's, it's a true an authentic righteousness that begins internally and, and works itself out externally. The Pharisees were concerned about the small details of conduct. They became the moral police. It's kind of where they get the name Pharisee. Instead of focusing on having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. So I was asked, uh, not this past week, but the week before, when we thought we were going to have Sunday, I was asked the question, what do I think that righteousness is? And what's this kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about? And, and I'll just say this up front. This is a difficult question uh, to answer. So we'll see you next week. No. How long did I preach? Is that enough? No. It's a difficult question to answer, but I, I, think, we can, I think we can tackle this. So when we look at God's word, we see three different aspects of righteousness. And I would think about it in in this way, that righteousness is not three different things necessarily. It's, it's, It's God's righteousness, but it has different aspects to it. So we see that there's the legal aspect, there's the moral aspect of righteousness, and there's also what you call the social aspect of righteousness. And Jesus is saying to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for all aspects of God's Righteousness. You know, Jesus could have said, he could have said, those who hunger for a piece of bread, 
and a drink of water, those are the people who are going to be filled. But he, he didn't say that. And instead he says, those who want the whole loaf, those who want the whole pitcher of water, those are the people who are going to be filled. See, happiness comes to the person who desires all that God is, all that God has, and all that God wants to do in our lives. Happiness comes when we desire all of his righteousness, not just one aspect. So to better help us understand this this concept of biblical righteousness, what we should hunger and thirst after, we're going to spend just a few minutes, and I'm going to break down um, each aspect of righteousness as we see in Scripture. So the first thing is called legal righteousness. You could also call this spiritual righteousness, and this is right-relatedness to God. And I would also say this as you're writing this down, that this aspect of righteousness is often called justification or being made right with God. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, probably the best uh, book of the Bible in the New Testament to talk about this idea of justification, we read these words, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. You see, according to Scripture, there's only one way to be justified or made right with God, and that's through faith in Jesus. We've talked about this a lot in past sermons, having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. It's important um, that you don't just have your parents' faith or, or your friends' faith, but that your faith is a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. It's a result of what God has done and is doing in your life. You see, this is how we gain righteousness in our lives. And this next idea, I don't know that I fully understand, but Scripture teaches that when we become, uh, that when we have a relationship with Jesus, we actually become the righteousness of, of God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, this aspect of righteousness that we're talking about is really the complete opposite of what our culture teaches is good and right. This aspect of righteousness is, first and foremost, having a faith in Jesus, personal and sincere faith, and then living our lives aligned with his plan and purpose. Again, we see the opposite of this all the time. So many people in our world, I'm guilty of this all the time as well, so many people try to define what righteousness is on their own. They try to define what it means to be a good person, right? There's so many different definitions for this. And thankfully, you know, Scripture speaks to this type of attitude or this type of person. Romans 10 verse 3 says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and they sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So today's beatitude is saying, Happy is the person who has a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As we grow in our relationship with God, it begins to affect everything else around us. I would also say, instead of making up our own way for how we should live our lives, we should look to God's word as the ultimate authority in our lives. We don't seek to do what's right or correct in our own lives. We do what's right in the eyes of God. And friends, this is difficult, (laughs) There's some things that I read in Scripture that sometimes I wish weren't there. It's hard to understand and comprehend. You know, this year we're going to have some messages that I believe really challenge us as a church, and they're going to challenge me as an individual because we're going to read things that say one thing, 
And then when we examine our lives, we notice that we're, we're doing something completely different. And those are often the most difficult messages to hear and to preach. So what I want to do at this time is, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. We don't have time to read through all of this this morning, but if you'd like to have a greater explanation of what justification is, what it means to be made right with God, and also uh, what it means to hunger and thirst after this aspect of righteousness, I want to encourage you in your own time just to go and read that text and everything around it. This is just a great text to, to read for that. So the first aspect of righteousness is what's called legal righteousness. This is right relatedness to God. We, we gain righteousness when we're in Christ, when we have a relationship with Jesus. When we place our faith in Jesus, we're called to live our lives aligned with God's will, his plan, and his purpose. The second aspect of righteousness that we're going to talk about this morning is what's called moral righteousness. You could also call this behavioral righteousness. This would be right relatedness to people. Okay, this, this aspect of righteousness is demonstrated in the way every single one of us uh, think, act, and talk. You could, you could also call it conduct, I guess. But this is moral righteousness. With, with this aspect of righteousness, though, again, we have to look at the example of the Pharisees as what not to do. Okay, because Jesus is saying, unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, um, it, it doesn't end up good. <laughs> so if we're not careful, we can start behaving and living just like the Pharisees did. Instead of hungering and thirsting for the moral righteousness as a result of what God's doing in our lives. Remember, they became the moral police. And, and church, I want to say this, that's not our role. That's not our job. We were never meant to be uh, the moral police. We were meant as individuals to be obedient to the word of God. We don't want to be little Pharisees, you know, like what Jesus is talking about. Again, we, we should go to Scripture to find our examples for what moral righteousness is and what it should look like in our lives. And as we do, we look at the life of Jesus and we see that he is the greatest example of what this means. A couple passages that I'd like us to, to look at this morning. The first one is Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. This is what we read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him. I tried to say deter, and that wasn't right this week. My wife corrected me on that. It's deter. And uh, I get corrected a lot. Um, So John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to, to what? Fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. See, when Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist hesitated, as any of us would. Can you imagine having that role, having that job of of baptizing Jesus? Jesus wanted to do the right thing. He said that he must fulfill all righteousness. He wanted to have the righteous act. He wanted his thoughts, words, and actions to be consistent with not only what he was teaching to people around him, but what he believed. And in doing so, he models right behavior for us. The second thing is a prayer. This is the uh, Apostle Paul praying uh, for, for a church. In, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, we read this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and your knowledge, uh, more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern 
what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, for the Christian, to hunger and thirst for moral righteousness is to desire to, ha- to live the kind of lives that glorifies God, to live the kind of lives that are in line with, with his word, to, to desire to be free from sin, to, to desire to be made right with God, to desire holy living, to desire a right relationship with God and with people, to desire to be like Jesus. You know, we don't desire these things to keep the law. That's what the Pharisees did. Instead, they should be a natural byproduct of a growing relationship with Jesus. We think, we speak, and we act in a way that follows Christ's example. This is, this is what moral righteousness is. And, and again, church, we can go to God's word to get greater examples of how we're called to live. Again, not as a response to law, but in response to what God is doing in our lives. That's moral righteousness. The third thing is this, what I call social righteousness. This is also often called ethical righteousness. And this would be right relatedness to society. So we see in Scripture that our hunger and thirst for righteousness should go beyond our desire for spiritual and behavioral goodness. It should go beyond that. We should also hunger and thirst for righteousness in our own homes, in our community, in our nation, and in our world, this is very important to God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Psalm 33, verse 12 said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. See, God's word is clear in that the family... The community or the nation who honors God is is blessed. That's what we read in God's word. It was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who wrote, If if every man and woman in the world knew what it, it meant to hunger and thirst for righteousness, there would be no danger of war. The problem is that so many people hunger and thirst for the wrong things, things that only temporarily satisfy Friends, you and I are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're called to be his representation, his ambassadors in a a broken and hurting world. Jesus tells us that when we hunger and thirst for God, when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness in the whole human community that we are filled We should do what's right as an example to others and seek to build homes and communities, a nation that that loves and honors God. This is social righteousness. And this this brings us to the the final word in our word study this morning. And that's the word filled. The promise that you and I are given in this beatitude is that when we hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness, that we will be filled This word in the Greek literally means to be satisfied or content. Again, I don't know that there's a better feeling or a better attitude to have than that that attitude of of being satisfied and content in all the right kinds of ways. You know, I believe that a person experiences this kind of satisfaction when they recognize 
what their real hunger and thirst is. See, we, we can think that we have a hunger and thirst for all sorts of things, only to find out that when we fill it with those things, we're left wanting more. They don't satisfy long term. Like Solomon, we can pursue happiness in all kinds of areas, but only God can truly satisfy. I also believe that a person experiences this this kind of satisfaction that Jesus is talking about when we learn to rely on spiritual food and drink, and, and not just junk food that the world has to offer. I'm not talking about stopping eating at McDonald's or you know things like that. I'm saying the world has a lot of things that it wants to feed you, most of which is not going to satisfy. I said we should be people of the word. We should be people of the way. We should submerse our lives in the word of God, and we should pursue Jesus with everything that we have. And in that, we experience the kind of joy that he's talking about. Isaiah 55, another great text, verse 1 and 2. This is what we're going to use to really wrap up the message today. Let this be a call to everyone here this morning. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. See, Jesus wants us to rely on God and his righteousness for our satisfaction. John 6, 35, we read this previously in the, in the sermon today. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I learned something the past couple weeks, as I often do. But I learned that bread is, is kind of essential in life. It really is. You, you can actually live on bread and water. Um, in fact, I was reading a story that anytime there's a natural disaster, flour is one of the first things that the first responders bring to those who are in need. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I'm what you're looking for. I can meet your needs. John four thirteen and 14 says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's saying anyone who drinks this water that the world has to offer, uh, the types of things that we think satisfy, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, you can go several weeks without food, but you can only go a few days without water. This is just reality. And again, I learned in the past couple of weeks that about 60 to 70% of our bodies is made up of water. You, you can't survive without water. And Jesus is saying, you, you, you can't survive without me. You can't survive without me. I am your bread and I am your water. Focus your life on me and all the other things that you're concerned about will fall into place. Friends, whoever comes to Jesus will never go hungry. Whoever believes in Jesus will never be thirsty. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. The invitation is to drink, eat, and be filled.
It's a feast. And there's always enough.